Welcome to Curve Beam Connect. Listen in monthly as we talk with doctors and experts in the field discussing innovations and insights into orthopedic imaging. Hello, everyone. I'm Gabrielle, and welcome to Curve Beam Connect. This episode was initially filmed as a full conversation, but there was just so much great content, we split it into three parts. So be sure to watch and listen to all three parts as we explore the variables involved in tackling the fiscal well-being of the healthcare system. Let's jump into part one. Thanks for tuning into Curvebeam Connect. I'm your host, Vinti Singh, Director of Marketing for Curvebeam. And today we are joined by Dr. Alberto Quelar, who is the co-founder and chief biomedical engineer for Efferent Health. He is also an orthopedic surgeon specializing in hip and knee replacement surgery. Dr. Quelar, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So could we get started with maybe a brief introduction uh, to yourself and you can tell us a little bit about your surgical practice? Sure. I'm an orthopedic surgeon, as you stated, uh, with a subspecialty of hip and knee replacement surgery. Currently, I work for Baylor College of Medicine and practice with the Baylor St. Luke's Medical Group in the Spring, Texas area. Great. Wonderful. So I did a little bit of research on um, your career and some of the uh, works that you've done. And I saw that in 2013, um, you actually won best poster presentation for some research that you presented at the AAOS that was titled The Economic Conundrum of Private Practice Orthopedic Surgery. Could you summarize what the findings of that study were for us? Sure. In the early 2000s, anecdotally, I noticed a drop in income from our professional services in our orthopedic group. In addition, we became more reliant on ancillary services, uh, such as uh, partial ownership of a uh, surgical facility, uh, x-rays, MRI, uh, physical therapy, braces, and other medical equipment. I decided to put some numbers uh, to this general observation. Initially, the study was geared towards understanding the financial dynamics of our group practice. This knowledge would allow the group to make prudent uh, financial and operational decisions. Early on during the data acquisition period, I found confounding variables which uh, needed to be dealt with in order to compare the financial health on a year-to-year basis. Uh, These confounding variables reflect changes in group size, employees, ancillary services, commercial space, inflation, and other revenue and and cost center changes. Although these services are important financially, they obscure the gross uh, revenue and expenses uh, due to professional services. The argument here is that the entire business depends on professional services. If income from or net income becomes uh, zero or negative, the ancillary services become very difficult to maintain. So in a nutshell, I collected about 14 years of data 
normalized it and created an index that allows uh, year-to-year comparisons. Uh, the results were dramatic. From 1998 to 2011, we saw a 64% drop in inflation-adjusted net income for professional services. Initially, the fall was linear, but later the data leveled off uh, to a negative uh, 70%. The data was so heavily weighted, meaning there's a lot of the numerator and and a lot of points in the denominator uh, that the uh, statistical model became reliably predictive. Interesting. And do you still use that model today? Can it be applied to present day conditions or would you say that factors have changed? Well, to give you an idea, um, I'm no longer with that group. And um, because it was just very, very difficult to have that particular model survive. And like I said, it was predictable. In fact, mm-hmm. I was able to look and tell you when everything would be over if we continued the way we did. And so about two years ago, I moved over to Baylor. Okay, okay. And the system is set up a little bit differently there. It is. I can still use the methodology because I think it's pretty sound, but that's not my main deal there anymore. And in fact, I, I love practicing uh, orthopedics uh, again because I don't have to worry about all the other stuff. And um, it's very comfortable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think um, surgeons who are still in that private practice setting are, do you think the situation has become more exacerbated or do you think there has been some leveling off? Well, like I said, the data is predictive. It does, it's predictive because the variation of, of data points on a year-to-year basis uh, stays very close to the index. And so it would take monumental uh, effort to, uh, to change that trajectory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I did notice that you also published a more recent study in which you showed that even though the, the cost of technology and the efficiency that technology has afforded us has increased over time, healthcare costs we would think um, if they were proper, if healthcare was properly leveraging technology would have also in the inverse decreased, but that is in fact not the case. Healthcare costs are rising. And you said that they're, they're sort of a phenomenon of microprocesses that have become fixed components in our US healthcare system. And you actually called those microprocesses um, similar to viruses. Um, and they can replicate unchallenged. I thought that was a really interesting idea. Could you um, expand on that a little bit more? Yes, and I appreciate you reading that. So it takes my readership from 11 to 12. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You throw out a bunch of numbers and, you know, uh, only people very interested in this very specific area will uh, read uh, your articles. But anyways, yeah, that... um, that was a 
almost like a research uh, theme paper from high school because it wasn't that difficult to put together. It's just a matter of looking up readily available data, which I, uh, with regard to the healthcare, believe it or not, the federal government actually keeps very good numbers or consistent numbers. And, and they have all kinds of data. And one is cost of healthcare. And then they also have other types of data that you can, again, normalize uh, the uh, data. And uh, in this case, I looked at healthcare expenditure per capita starting in 1970 and ending in 2018. So what I found was an exponential rise in healthcare per capita, not inflation adjusted. It was um, three th- over 3,000%. Uh, now that's almost 50 years. So um, there is a lot of, of inflation, but if you were to inflation adjust the money, it would be even higher uh, uh, with regard to uh, the expense uh, per capita. What was very scary about those numbers is, you know, I talked about heavily weighted data. In this case, we're talking about trillions of dollars in hundreds of millions of people. And that is very heavily uh, weighted. And the the data was so close uh, with regard to the index that I created for that, uh, that it was predictive such that I could even create an equation and I'll know Mm -hmm. what happens next year in in 10 years from Mm -hmm. now and so on. Mm -hmm. Then probably the hardest data to uh, come up with was uh, what do you use as an index for, for the IT world? And so I looked at processing uh, power, the cost of processing power, memory, development. I think that was about it. And really the numbers were not relevant until um, the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. which sounds like a long time ago. And uh, and that's because prior to that, the cost of, of computing was astronomical. In fact, numbers that you, you can't even say, they're so big. But they started getting pretty reasonable after 2000. And, and all of a sudden, I don't have it up in front of me, but there was a massive drop in the price. Uh, of anything really having to do with with IT. They became that efficient. And so that explains why the healthcare industry has spent so much money on mediocre uh, products. Uh, they're, you know, they're trying to use technology to improve their, their business, but really, the variables involved do not allow them uh, to uh, improve their efficiencies. Now, that being said, even with all these legislation, and if you look at the uh, graphs, you might ask, well, it could be worse or it could be better. 
But the interesting thing is the data continued to follow the same equation and Mm -hmm. with no bumps, nothing. Mm -hmm. In fact, Mm -hmm. I actually included uh, legislation on there that had zero influence. And you can make a case for did it because it's not really free market. uh, Did it create that that situation? Mm -hmm. But with regard to technology, you would expect there to be at least damping that increase. And we are now uh, at the inflection point of uh, the exponential rise that these curves typically have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And, And what you noted was even though healthcare is so expensive, despite improved technology, it hasn't really resulted in improved patient care or better patient outcomes. So that's a little bit disappointing. Well, it's very disappointing. Now, the caveat to that is is that we do have great care, but it's really spotty. As And also different groups of people have different types of care. And the cost of healthcare now is getting to the point where it's hard for most people to afford uh, for sure, out of pocket. And insurance is not that much help because you pay a ton of money for the insurance, but yet when you uh, get health care, you have to pay for that too because of massive, massively high deductibles. So eventually that type of system will fail. I also measured things like population growth, uh, GDP, and those types of things. And the problem here is we do not have a trajectory of growth in any of those major categories to be able to meet the financial needs of the uh, healthcare industry. So we're painting a pretty bleak picture here, but oh, yeah, to- <laughs> Doctor Doom—that's my uh, <laughs> my nickname. But- <laughs> but there is hope. Um, and, you know, it's it real. At the end of the day, humans and, and Americans are, are very innovative and and we can um, find our way out of this if we really put our minds to it. So on that note, could you maybe talk a little bit about what sparked the idea to create the Efferent Health platform for which you are a co-founder? What were some of the pain points where we've talked big picture and and healthcare as a whole, but what were some of the pain points in in your practice that you were experiencing that you said there could be a better way and we could use technology to our advantage to make things efficient and, and to improve the way we're delivering care? We'll find out the answer to that question in part two. But for now, that's it for the first part of this three-part series with Dr. Alberta Queller and Vinti Singh. This conversation provides a good introduction to the economic trials that private orthopedic practices face. So be sure to tune into the next installment of Curve Beam Connect, and we'll find out what sparked the idea for Dr. Queller to create the Efferent Health Platform.